0: The following is rated not safe for work. It contains strong language, adult situations, and lots and lots of spoilers. Discretion is advised.
1: In the criminal justice system, cinematic-based offenses are considered
2: especially heinous. The dedicated attorneys who investigate these villainous films are members of an
0: elite squad known as the Reels of Justice. These are their stories. Order, please, order. The Reels of Justice is now in session. Judge Our sins will seek us out, Ryan Luis Rodriguez presiding. Your eyes for the Honorable Judge Rodriguez.
3: Welcome to the Reels of Justice. Today we are hearing the case of the People vs. the Pope's Exorcist, a 2023 horror movie that chronicles the exploits of, yes, the Vatican's number one exorcist, as he battles a powerful demon and unearths a conspiracy that goes all the way to the top. Again? For those of you unfamiliar with our court proceedings, we are here to determine if this film is guilty of being a bad movie. As always in this courtroom, films are to be considered excellent until proven awful, and the burden of proof lies upon the prosecution to prove beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt that this film is guilty. Mr. Big Ben Hassler, you are representing the prosecution. You may present your opening statement.
0: Thank you, Your Honor. It wasn't the first time I've been robbed of a case. It was far from the last. But on February 2nd in the year of our Lord, 2023, this very court ruled against my excellent defense of The Last Samurai by saying it wasn't historically accurate. Well, I've got bad news for you, defense attorney Billy Ray Bruton, because I'm going all in on this point in prosecution of The Pope's Exorcist, a film that is so inaccurate, yet has the stones to say it was based on Father Amort's actual case files. It's about as accurate to that source as The Lord of the Rings is to World War II. Now, let me get ahead... <laughs> of what is actually factually accurate in this film. There was an exorcist named Father Amort. He was in World War II. Um, Catholicism is a religion. Honestly, I think that's about it. Did he ride a cute little exorcism mobile all around Europe uh, with his little satchel? No, no evidence of that anywhere. And even if he did, would he have listened to the cult songs? No. In fact, he's been uh, quoted as speaking against pop culture, such as Harry Potter, saying it leads people away from God. Uh, Did he drink whiskey? Not that we know of. Was he a bad priest on the loose who's too old for this crud, buddy copping with young priests on assignment from the Pope? Uh, That's it, Mort. Turn in your crucifix and your scripture. You're on permanent sabbatical. No. (laughs) He did form a society of exorcists, but that's about as close to that trope as he ever got. There is no Abbey of San Sebastian, and therefore there was no mother with two angsty kids who moved into it. There was no underground chamber constructed around the Spanish Inquisition that he ever set foot in. Uh, The Pope portrayed here is clearly not John Paul II, who would have been a who would have been Pope at this period in time. There was no suicide of a woman who eats bird heads like Ozzy does for bats that he failed to save that haunts him. There was a disappearance of a schoolgirl that mort claimed was kidnapped by the Vatican police for sex parties within the Vatican walls, and this woman had confided to him that she had been molested multiple times by someone close to the Pope. Combine that with your Society of Exorcists, and to the producers of this movie, I say, there's your film! That sounds tons more interesting than this conjuring, exorcist, copy-paste boredom you produced. Have Amort investigating that. That is your through line for demons manipulating the church. Amort himself would have been firmly against this film. I mean, if he's wincing at Harry Potter, the third act of this film is light years past that depiction of magic with its fire pentagrams and and mummy jaws. He certainly would have been up in arms against how his character hurriedly goes through the sacrament of confession a mort is quoted as saying one confession is worth 10 exorcisms so they couldn't even get the basics about the man right much less anything he was involved in so as it stands uh this is much closer the last samurai is much closer to true history so sorry for wasting your time billy ray and we don't validate parking because as it says on my ryan luis rodriguez t-shirt here case dismissed <laughs>
3: thank you mr Hassler. claws are out Appearing on behalf of the defense is Mr. Billy Ray Bruton. Please present your opening statement.
2: Boy, if, if that's the best that the prosecution has, this is going to be a cakewalk. <laughs> um, God wow. God if, if, the, if the whole uh, thesis is, well, it's not true to life, I've got some bad news for you about other movies. <laughs> um, you know, so let's just start off from here. For most people... 2023 was a rough year. We had two grumpy old men running for president. We had war in the Ukraine and the Middle East, wildfires in Maui, global warming, decimating all corners of the globe. It just plain sucked. So thank the gods that we were handed the beauty, the majesty, nay, the downright human need for an overweight Russell Crowe. Wearing aviators and his liturgical vestment, (laughs) riding a Vespa to and from possessions, while speaking in an accent that can only be described as Roberto Benigni meets Chef Boyardee. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, is (laughs) is this a performance worthy of a Golden Raspberry nomination as it was? Fuck no. Razzies imply obliviousness. They imply someone trying and failing. This does not apply to Crow in any way, shape, or form. He knows the type of performance he is giving here, just as he did in the film Unhinged. He knows this is a B-movie, and he is treating it just like that. But if you think that that's his excuse to not build a compelling character along the way, then you are clearly not paying attention. And, uh, you know, no one could have had more fun in the role of Father Gabriele Amorth, then two-time Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, he's both in on the joke and determined to elevate a tired subgenre, something akin to a Ken Russell experiment. The amount of weirdness that Crowe brings to this role is kind of epic. He makes the character completely his own, mining humor where humor dare not tread, elevating what could have been mundane scenes into emotionally volatile and complex character pieces. Now, Was this the real-life Father of Morth? Of course not. Of course it wasn't. That wouldn't have been a very interesting film, as William Friedkin can tell you from that documentary he made about the man, which was about as interesting as watching wallpaper dry. (laughs) (laughs) But if, if the crux is, well, it's not true to life. There's this franchise called The Conjuring. I don't know if you've heard of it. But it deals with Ed and Lorraine Warren. If you think that those films have any resemblance whatsoever to what actually happened in those cases, then I've got a bridge to sell you. (laughs) Uh, Other cases would be Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho. They are loosely based on real events. Fargo, Captain Phillips, Catch Me If You Can. The list goes on and on and on. So the filmmakers took liberty with Father of Morth's life. I'm glad that they did. It would have been a boring film otherwise. Uh, this film allows Russell Crowe to do what Russell Crowe does best, which is act. Sometimes it's big. Sometimes it's subtle. Most of the time, he's writing that delicate line in between. And my argument, even though I will go into other ways why this film works and why it is successful for me, I, w- I would suggest that Russell Crowe's performance alone is enough to give this film a pass. I think he is so... I mean, I'm wearing a shirt right now in honor of this podcast that is literally just a shirt that has him riding a Vespa on the front.
1: Fantastic. We and That's we can how,
2: see it, too. That is that is the... That is the, for me, the single shot of 2023 is Russell Crowe (laughs) riding that Vespa wearing aviators going to fight evil. That's what he should be doing. I'm glad there's a sequel coming. I can't wait. Do they have it in a large? I'm a large. (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that they i'm sure that they do i'll get into the other successes of this film later once the uh once the prosecution decides that they're going to come at it with the (laughs) once i take a breath with hopefully hopefully a better argument other than it's not real enough claws are
3: out on mr bruton's side as well oh my god mr haslar you may proceed with your first exhibit
0: uh, to the jury, I would like to say that those films that he mentioned, The Conjuring and, the, and Psycho, have never been on trial. Uh, the Last Samurai has, and you ruled it wasn't historically accurate enough, therefore it was bad. So you've got go by precedent. <laughs> Anyway, I would like to talk about the opening exorcism, because that ex- opening exorcism is so dumb. Father Amort walks in past this farmer who's just, like, so proud of his pig, and he he brags about how great this pig is and his prize winning and all that. And I could just, Amort's, like, whispering to himself, yeah, don't get attached, buddy, because he's going to kill that pig. And he goes into the this guy's house who's who's possessed, and he the devil is like one dumb bunny. Cause he falls for the oldest trick in the book. Uh, more like skips past the old trick of, Hey, Gabriel's standing right behind you. Uh, and instead goes right for, I bet you can't do this thing that would put you in a worse position. I really bet you can't do it. Uh, and of course falls for it. And now I will say, I will get ahead of the counter argument. Uh, they do say later that this was a case of mental illness, but that makes it even worse because that makes them um, means a more just killed this pig for no reason whatsoever. He could have like transferred the demon into a chicken or anything. That's, you know, less valuable, but this, this farmer just loved wow. this pig. He loved it so much. And a like, no, I'm going to transfer the demon to this pig and I'm going to shoot it. Uh, that's that's, that's not cool, man. Mr. Bruton, defend this pig murder.
2: Well, for starters, the opening is hilarious. Uh, (laughs) Russell Crowe, from the very beginning of this film brings this humor and this energy and this kind of off kilter sort of father amorph morph into the picture i think everything that the prosecution is saying about the pig is a success of this film it's not a detriment to the film the fact that he transfers this the spirit of this demon into a pig that he can kill him that's pretty fucking clever haven't seen that in the, i didn't see that in the exorcist 2 the heretic
0: <laughs> um, I haven't seen The Exorcist too. Thankfully,
2: <laughs> it's just another example of of this film's kind of twisted sense of humor and what it's doing and what it's doing with it. And it kicks right off the bat with it. This goes into the fun of Crow playing this character. Um, this is, you know, I, I don't understand how this is a negative. I, I, I guess I would under. I mean, I guess if you're an animal lover, right? And I'm an animal <laughs> lover. Like, I don't love seeing animals killed on screen. Not at all. But. I also can go with the joke and that's the joke. And I think it's implemented pretty well. I, I, I mean, I don't really have a, a better argument for that because it's just common sense, I think.
3: Uh, Mr. Hassler, I do want to hear your opinion on the, the sense of humor of the film.
0: Uh, I mean, it's okay. Uh, I, I I do like Crow in it. Uh, but other than that, like, it's very tropey. So, like, while, while Crow himself seems to be having fun, everything else is just sort of a, a copy and paste from The Exorcist or The Conjuring. And Whoa. these films have been done before. And they've been done better. I've Whoa. seen angsty teens. I've seen uh, kids who say, like, Ugh, Mom, you're such a mom. Stop embarrassing me while I'm smoking on the banister with my friends, Mom. Or kids who can't speak because they're traumatized or who can't parents who can't afford to move anywhere but this haunted house that someone left them. I tell you, 60% of this script is already written. All you have to do is just like sprinkle something new on it. In this case, hey, the exorcist is working for the Pope and that's it, you're done. It's so lazy. I've seen kids, possessed kids saying bad words uh, while they're uh, possessed by a demon and crawling around. I've seen it. I've seen them using Jedi force powers. Uh, I've seen people being psychic and like tied to this this trauma. I've never seen it be the Pope before, so that was weird. I don't understand what that was about. I've seen people use the demon's name as a, a means of ending the whole conflict. That trope is so tired. And what's even worse about this one is they go down into the, the chamber to find the demon's name. These were people that were trying to get rid of the demon in the first place. They had his name. What was the problem? Why couldn't they get rid of it right then? Why would they wall everything up if they had the name? What's... What's going on here? Okay,
2: Wow. Uh, that was that was a lot. Um, so I will say, the movie's called the Pope's Exorcist, not the Pope's Exorcism. Uh, it is I was not, hoping for that movie. Be honest. It you is, thought that that's what it was when you saw the title. Be honest. I, no, I just hoped that I would get Russell Crowe kicking the devil's ass, and I got that. <laughs> um, so I guess my question is, do you want reality or not? Because you may be tired of the whole trope of saying a demon's name, but that's actually in the liturgical exorcism text. It's actually accurate. So do you want accurate depictions in the film, or do you not? Because that is accurate. And- I think what I I like about this film and what it does differently than so many other exorcism films is it throws us some narrative curveballs, which I enjoy. I didn't know exactly how the possession was going to take form. I didn't know if it was going to be the daughter that was possessed, if it was going to be the son that was possessed, the mother. I think they make some interesting choices there and kind of fooling us a little bit on how that's going to go. I also like the building of this pretty rich mythology that goes all the way back to the Spanish Inquisition, which I thought was really fascinating and not anything that I had seen. You didn't expect it. (laughs) No, that's right. And, um, and so I thought that was really interesting in making the church sort of this culpable party into the fact that this evil is even happening right now. I really enjoyed that. I responded to that. Now, I'm not going to say that all of it works, right? Like, the whole clan of Exorcist things, well, that is the John Wickification of the Exorcist films. Because since John Wick, we now have to have these secret societies where all these people, like, I get it. I wouldn't be surprised if they in the sequel they have Russell Crowe walk into a hotel and drop a golden coin on the counter. Well, like
3: it's shield, isn't it? Isn't it that, the the Catholic shield?
2: Yes, that is correct. And so, does the film have issues? Of course, the special effects are questionable. With Lionsgate unfortunately rushing the final act of the film in that regard, is it as bad as that goddamn cat in Argyle? Absolutely not. <laughs> is it unfortunate that they don't throw another one or two million dollars at the problem? Absolutely, um, you know. $2 million I would, dollars fixes everything. <laughs> yes. So they. So yeah, the film has issues, as do most films that you're going to talk about on this show. But the question is: Is it a successful film? does it subvert the expectations of an exorcism film? And as someone who has seen way more exorcism films than they want to, who probably sees (laughs) four or five a year, I think this brings something different to the party. I don't think it's entirely new and different. I think that would be a miracle if that happened in an exorcist film, but I think it does just enough and it has that anchor of Russell Crowe's performance to carry it over the finish line. And, you know, I want to talk, because I want to hear the prosecution talk about this, I also want to talk about what this film is actually about and what it's doing. You know, The Pope's Exorcist is a film ostensibly about fighting for your family, whether that be a traditional family of a mom and her two kids, a religious family like the Catholic Church, and just as Alex Ethos, Esso's Julia is determined to save her children from the unspeakable evil unleashed, so too is Father Amorth committed to honoring his Pope and sending this evil back to where it belongs. There is no crisis of faith here, which is really interesting for your lead character in an exorcism movie. Like, there isn't a crisis of faith. Amorth believes in and loves God, does his duty at all costs, and it's refreshing to see a character that, even though these horrible things have happened, that have maybe questioned his ability to perform his role, it has not caused his faith to come into doubt. You know, everyone uses that trope. It goes all the way back to the Exorcist. This film does not do that. Uh, Crows Amorth is a man of deep conviction who has accepted who he is, false and all. And that is refreshing. That is refreshing in an Exorcist film. And that's something that I took away from it as a big positive.
0: Okay, well, if you say that that's the point about the family or or Crow's relationship to the Pope being his family, where is the resolution in that? Because the family is pretty much out for the count. Like, you know, as soon as Immort like transfers the demon into himself, they're gone. You don't get any resolution for them whatsoever. So if that's your through line, where's your resolution? And and the same thing with the Pope. Uh, The Pope even like is like digging through these files after uh, like midway through. I don't know why Immort didn't like learn that the, you know, the dungeon was beneath the thing when he saw the file in the first place. It seems like that would be like right on top of that binder. Uh, But then the Pope's like sorting through it and he gets like in a hospital for some reason, he vomits up blood goes nowhere. They never explain it. Uh there's there's no connection there, not that I was able to discern. Um I'm going
2: to let you in on a secret though. This is not called the Pope's exorcist clients. It's called the Pope's exorcist. Clients. <laughs> you said you and said that the family was the point. It wasn't satisfaction. It, a it, of it lady. is. It is, but I also made the point that one of the families is the family, the Catholic family, that is built between Amorth and the Pope and these disparate people, including the junior priest that is helping him. So, yes, the family is one of the key parts of it, but I got the resolution I needed. They were possessed. They're not anymore. <laughs> They're, how much resolution do we get from Reagan? and never even sent him a thank you card. <laughs> from <laughs> Reagan and The Exorcist. The Exorcist mm. ends and then suddenly Reagan and Ellen Burstyn are loading up their car. Like we don't get a resolution from that necessarily either. Uh, but what we do get is a resolution with the priests involved. And that's what this film is doing. They leave and it turns into the straight up. Russell Crowe Show, which is what it was all along, because this movie is called The Pope's Exorcist, and The Pope's Exorcist is Russell fucking Crowe.
3: Mr. Hassler, would you care to proceed with your next exhibit?
0: Uh, Yes, I would like to talk about this third act. Uh, It passes the point of (laughs) disbelief uh, so fast, at warp speed in his third act. If you went to the bathroom right around the time the family is leaving the house and came back two minutes later, you'd be so confused. You'd be like, did I just walk into the wrong theater? What the hell happened? I was in number three, wasn't I? When did this turn into Mortal Kombat all of a sudden with with these fire pentagrams going around and, and it's like dungeons and dragons, you know, I expect uh, there's cages and, and blood vomiting and mummy jaws and all that. It is not the same movie that, that, that you left. It, it just, <laughs> you just, you said like, okay, one or $2 million would have fixed it, but still you're releasing this movie and it just takes a hard left turn out of nowhere. And it's not good. And the, and the film like even ends with that thing where it's like, Okay, uh, we're setting ourselves up for 199 sequels. Uh, buckle up, <laughs> folks. Uh, the books are good. Father Mort wrote many books. The books are good. This film is not. We're sorry. <laughs> we we could not do it justice. Uh, so on that, the prosecution will rest.
3: Thank you, Mr. Hassler. Mr. Bruton. You may proceed with your first exhibit.
2: Uh, sure. Well, I, just as a response to what was just said about oh, the third act, say, yes, I'm going to I'm going to agree with the prosecution that the third act is the weakest act of the film. Absolutely. Now that said, is that a surprise con- considering that most films have a weaker third act? No, but he's right. It is the weakest of the three acts. Now, again, passing disbelief, Shocker, a movie about an exorcist would uh would maybe uh push the ideas of belief. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's a valid critique of the film. That said, you did make some critiques about the ending that I think are accurate. The ending of this film reminded me of that amazing, well, I consider it to actually be an underrated and amazing Roman Polanski film called The Ninth Gate, which is another film that has two really strong acts. And then it just blows it in the third in a much bigger way than I think. The Pope's Exorcist does. Is it cheesy with the special effects and the mythology? Yes, but what you're saying is they are building a franchise. This is clearly meant to be the first in a series of films that follow Father Amorth around. And I'm certainly interested to see where that franchise goes, maybe in the hands of different directors. I want to see how Crow continues to build that character. But that's a lot of what this third act is doing. It is setting up that mythology. It is setting up this sort of hierarchy of characters and mythology. That way we can carry into a second film, have something to hopefully look forward to and have something to build on. I'll touch back on again the fact that I love The inclusion of the Spanish Inquisition as a as a piece to this, because I've been fascinated about the Spanish Inquisition for years. I don't think that it is really touched on in film in enough ways. And I think this was a really clever and interesting way to do it that I had not seen before. Um, But if we're going to say that the film isn't a good film because the third act is weak. Well, I mean, that's like 75 percent of all films. Because oh. most third, most third acts don't stick the landing. Even amazing films, even films that we think of as friggin masterpieces sometimes don't always stick the third act. It doesn't mean that they're bad films. It just means that, They're a little up and down. And I would certainly say that about the Pope's exorcist. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film. That would be unhinged.
0: Yes, that was a pun definitely intended. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I went on a rant. Imagine for a second, if I may like say like this is like a gymnastics act. Just picture that. They're like flipping around on the bars and okay, it's great. It's great. But if they don't, if they stick the landing like with a six, they sort of stumble or whatever. But you're like, okay, the rest of it was good as opposed to like them landing lopsided and breaking their ankle, you know, like that kind of ruins the whole thing. What the end is what you're left with and how bad you stumble on that third act really determines how good or bad you think it is, don't you agree? She I won the gold
4: medal that
2: year.
0: See, you're comparing you're comparing it to that. I'm comparing
2: I think making a movie is more like a triathlon. I think there are three stages to it just like there are three acts. And I'm rooting for the people to finish the triathlon. I don't care if it takes them six hours, 16 hours, or 60 hours. The comp- the actual accomplishment is finishing the triathlon. Yes, you might have some hiccups along the way. Maybe, Maybe you trip when you're running. Maybe you get something caught in your wheel when you're doing the bike portion. Maybe you get stung by a jellyfish when you're doing the swimming portion, but you make it to the end, beaten and battered and bloody and better for it. And that, to me, is a better analogy for the Pope's exorcist. (laughs) Uh,
3: Mr. Bruton, if you'd like to present with your next exhibit.
2: I certainly would. Thank you so much. Um, So let's talk about the church, because it's hard to talk about a movie that dives so deep into Catholicism without talking about the church, all of the good and the bad, mostly bad therein, since we're talking about the Catholic church. Sorry, my sorry, Catholics. But the film deals sorry, with, Mom. <laughs> it deals with this battle of the new church versus the old church, which we've seen in films before. That's hardly a new thing. We actually have a pope right now who really embodies that battle between the old church and the new church. And the new church is represented essentially by a panel of bishops who don't understand Amorth's ways and why the Pope is so loyal to him. Um, you know, they are, they, are, they are presented in a pretty snooty way. There's a younger one particularly who meets an unfortunate end at the end who kind of is the ringleader of this. But uh, they want Amorth gone so they can start bringing the Catholic Church out of the Dark Ages and into the modern world. That's actually not a terrible idea. We have a Pope now that is doing that. What what they the mistake that they make, like all people, is they just underestimated Russell Crowe, <laughs> and <laughs> that's and that's not something anyone should do. Um, no, Amorth and the Pope, as played by a very committed Franco Nero, who also received a Razzie nomination. And if you're telling me that Franco Nero gives one of the worst performances of the year, I don't know what to tell you. I've seen a lot of movies; it ain't even close. But they are locked in this old ways versus the new ways in a way that I haven't seen before. Now, yes, this does play into the John Wickification of it, which I don't love. Like, I love the John Wick films. I just don't like seeing it when they are, you know, sort of co-opted by these other films and franchises. I just don't. I don't. I think that's lazy world building sometimes. But this time... I actually found it kind of interesting. It was interesting to see these different factions of the church. It was interesting to see, you know, the kind of political pull, you know, between. I think there's actually not in the Pope's exorcist universe, but I think there is a film out there about that internal struggle that should be made. Um, again, this is not this is not what this film is going for. And um, another thing that I'll mention as part of this exhibit um, you know, dealing with the old church and the new church. What I liked about this film was it was not afraid to put Father Amorth through the ringer. And here's spoiler, this isn't based on a true story. Father Amorth was not actually overtaken by a demon and able to levitate into the air. This is a work of fiction. But in William Freakins The Exorcist, we experience a few brief moments of Father Karras possessed by an evil entity right before he hurls himself out the window and onto the Georgetown steps. Uh, in the Pope's exorcist we get a full transformation scene with a morph turning into osmodius and a final set pieces um and what's interesting is in those moments we see that the evil underneath this abbey is not constrained so much by the church or the clergy as we know it but by the religious societies that they serve it is it is an evolution of the church, an evolution of people who support the church. It's almost this statement in my mind that evil in 2024 doesn't have the same place that it once did. It's looked at differently. It's dealt with differently. And is the movie evangelizing the church? Absolutely not. It's evangelizing the ways in which the church once accepted that supernatural and otherworldly phenomena were real and Among Us, which all religions have done throughout history. It's not an insane thing to think about exorcisms, or ghosts, or demons, or creatures, or things like that. It's only in the modern world where we try to, like, rewind, or we kind of, like, fast forward our minds into a world where those things don't exist. This is a Catholic church that still believes in those things, that is trying to resist being pulled out of those ways. And let me just say, when the chupacabras invade, this movie is going to really mean (laughs) something. (laughs) There's a lot to chew on there.
0: I'd like to hear
3: this from Mr. Haslar.
0: There certainly is. I'll try to address the bullet points. Some of them I had in my opening statement as far as like, yeah, I think what they were going for isn't what they did. Uh, Being about the church and like how it going through a transformation, that theme would have been much better uh, explored if they went with the real story. Uh, How this this young girl uh, was kidnapped by the Vatican police and and abused for sex parties, allegedly. Uh, And that the Pope was you know, close to some of these people involved, uh, combine that with your, your society of exorcists. That is your interesting movie now. Okay. That my idea I think is better. Maybe you disagree. Uh, the question is still what, what they they gave us something is that good or bad? Well, okay, they got that that panelist of people, messy old versus new. They portray this panel as very comically evil, like they're they're seething, you know, they they, they can't contain the anger within them. Like, I'm more... you're just ruining everything. <laughs> like it's, it's it's not at all believable it's not at all a depiction of the church going through a transformation it's very very comical uh and the pope again john paul ii in in actual history and and, in this actual year that they keep flashing across the stream this actor not that guy now going to the the abbey beneath the thing uh they never explain why you know okay the spanish inquisition uh had a demon they were going to take over the catholic church that doesn't go anywhere because they stopped the demon somehow how he's he's in, he's in like stone walls the the people in there are dead and presumably once you kill the the host that the demon is inhabiting the demon goes back to hell and then comes back somewhere else so they don't explain how just like kind of putting a little bit of hole uh in into this into this brick casing all of a sudden releases asmodeus Hmm. Um, they don't,
2: because I was certainly, I didn't have any questions about that. It made sense to me. I mean, the creature was locked away underneath this abbey. A, a wall was torn down. It was no longer locked away and it was able to escape. I mean, it's the it's the same thing. We you know I've got a two year old Basenji when he was six years, when he was six months old, he learned how to open my front door. And that's how he got out was by opening my front door and getting out. Um, Had he knocked, had he, had he knocked down my wall, he would have also been able to. Demons are ethereal. Demons (laughs) are ethereal, but I don't know. There are very few movies that deal with demons that don't, have some restrictions on them or some strictures placed on them. There's always something that can kind of contain a demon or contain an evil entity. That's why they resurface or they go away or they come back or all of these things. There's always something that you can do. So that's not, that's not unusual. I will say, I mean, I would have had no desire to go and watch a movie about a bunch of priests running a train on a young girl. (laughs) Like that to me is not my idea. That is not my idea of of fun, And I certainly don't think that would have lent itself to any sort of a franchise property. So, you know, the idea that it didn't invest itself more in the real world, would that be a compelling story? Absolutely. I don't think the vehicle for that is Russell Crowe riding a Vespa wearing aviators. I think those two ideas are at odds with each other. And if I'm going to choose between the two, I'm going to choose Russell Crowe, not the priest running a train on a young girl. Um, That's just my personal... Enjoyment level. I, it sounds like you. It sounds like you wanted to see Spotlight. This movie ain't Spotlight. Yes. <laughs> this movie ain't Spotlight.
0: I think you could bind the two. I think you can have fun and and also explore something deep. This does-
2: Oh not, no, I, I think f- you can. I just don't think every movie needs to do that. And I don't think this one needed to do that. It could have, and it probably would have been fine. I think some movies need to and should exist as pure B-movie pulp entertainment. And I think that's exactly what this film exists as. It exists as a 90 minute, 100 minute good time or at least it was for me you're not supposed to have to go in and think too hard you're not supposed to have to go in like i didn't go into this movie expecting to cry or get goosebumps or be moved in any substantial way i went to watch russell crowe fighting a fucking demon riding a vespa and and just going to the nines with that performance and i got exactly what i paid for (laughs) Uh, Mr. Britton, do you have any further exhibits? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I think I think right now I- I'm just comfortable resting. Okay.
3: All sides have rested their cases. The attorneys will now present their closing arguments. Mr. Hassler, you may begin.
0: Uh, You know, I'd hate to harp on this again, but I am really just so tired of this old trope of just naming a demon to get your control over. It's so played. It makes no sense. We know all the demons' names. This movie says there's two hundreds of them, so why don't you just, you know, flip open your book and just start reading them? Uh, Azog. Beelzebub, Rumpelstiltskin. You'd think they know them all by heart by now. Uh, you'd think they'd have some, like, Yakko Warner-esque song to keep track of them. You could just, like, see him coming in and going, like, adromelic Abacus Abadna, Norris and Garrison Zoo, Adramellius, Alu, Azazel, Asikus Og, and Armazitou, Asmodeus, Balan, Belbearith, Beruda, Bodas, Belith, and Baron, Kali, Corson, Diablo, Gugori, Fornus, Donjal, and Dagon. It's that easy. You name them all, like <laughs> and then you banish them. Uh, why, why is this such a trope that they keep using? Why are they not... We have the names. You're done. <laughs> Case dismissed. Uh ah,
3: uh, that's stealing my line. Thank we you, We would Hassner. not allow
4: people to steal
2: bits. Uh, Mr.
3: Burton, <laughs> please present your closing argument.
2: I would like to mention that the closing argument, which is the prosecution suggesting that the naming a demon to defeat it is tired and played out, is is a rebuttal to his opening argument which was all about how the film wasn't true to life and it wasn't original and like it wasn't... Well, it's true to life. Whether you think it's overplayed or not, that is an actual thing. And it may not make sense to us who are lay people as to why we just don't rattle off a bunch of demon names and hope for the best, but it's a little bit more complicated than that in the actual text. And so this is just a real thing. You don't have to like it that it's played out like... I don't, you know, I don't like the fact that Donald Trump was our president for four years, but it happened. It was a real thing. It existed in the world. And and it stays with this. Yeah, you know, you name a demon to defeat it. It might be played, but that's what it is. That is more true to life. Um, You know, I've harped a lot on Russell Crowe here and what Russell Crowe brings to the table. And I made a comment earlier that I think Russell Crowe's performance alone is enough to recommend this movie and I do stand by that. I think that when I first heard that Russell Crowe was going to be in a movie called The Pope's Exorcist. I got to tell you, the first I thought was it's like, "Oh, well, you know, Rus- Russell Russell Crowe's career was already sliding and it's now reached the bottom of the barrel." And, and I was thinking of this because I had just seen Unhinged, which I had fun with, by the way, but was still like, okay, how did Russell Crowe, Gladiator, A Beautiful Mind, Body of Lies, how did this guy start making these kinds of movies. And then the more I started hearing about it, the the fact that I learned that it was going to be directed by Julius Avery, who I think is a really talented horror director who did Overlord and I think the entertaining Sylvester Stallone movie Samaritan. I started hearing about more people who were involved with it and I got more and more excited. And then I was like, okay, well then I'm going to give this thing a shot and I'm going to go in with an open mind. And you know that it's just it's a perfect example of how an actor, a single solitary actor can elevate the material he's in just by bringing his A game. And I know there are people out there who are like, "Uh, he's got a spotty Italian accent." Well, did those people see Ferrari? Did they see <sighs> House of Gucci? Because I guarantee you Russell Crowe's Italian accent is better than most of the accents in both of those films. <laughs> and so yes, Uh, there are problems with this film. No one is going to deny that. But, and and I know a lot of people, I had a lot of friends who skipped this movie initially because, you know, it did okay at the box office, but it didn't do huge. It didn't have to warrant a sequel, but it was a low budget. It didn't do huge at the box office. The reviews were mixed, not overwhelmingly negative, but they were mixed. And so people skipped it. And every time I show this film to people, the, the response is always the same. It's like, oh, That was better than I thought it was going to be. And I'm like, yes, it is. It doesn't have to be your favorite film of the year. It doesn't have to be the best exorcism movie ever made. Shit, it doesn't have to be the best exorcism movie of 2023. It just has to be 90 minutes worth of entertainment. And that's exactly what it is. Could it be more than that? Absolutely it could. It's not trying to be. And so for what it wants to do and for what it's trying to do, I think it accomplishes it. Thank you both. Members of the jury,
3: Mr. Dylan J. Schlender, Mr. Maynard Bangs, and Mr. My Name is Blasphemy. My name is Ryan Luis Rodriguez.
1: Hey! You've all heard the facts concerning
3: this case. It is now up to you to determine if this film is guilty of being a bad movie. The bailiff will escort you to the deliberation room to render your verdict. Wait, this way. Do you
0: suppose if I don't pay my exorcist, I'll get repossessed?
1: Oh, 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 man. Popsicle Stuck
0: wants that joke back.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, everyone. Very good case. Love having Billy Ray on. Just exudes passion really, and. Really brings his A game. <laughs> it really does. He's the Russell Crowe of Reels of Justice when you think about it. Huh. Um, <laughs> but uh maynard let's let's hear from you what are you thinking of the cases what you think of the movie um well some interesting you know
4: biblical conversation which I always get into um you know you couldn't actually just guess all the deep. You, you know you can just say every demon name it's not just about saying the name you have to know its name so you can command it so but that's taken from the Bible um same thing I think Though I, I'll, I'll take it to the other side, Billy Ray said the pig thing was like original. We hadn't seen that. No, that's from the Bible. Jesus did that to Legion. That's how he. That's how he. He gets Legion in Garrison. Um, uh, So that's the, the the fact that this guy says he's Legion and then falls for exactly what Legion fell for. You know. Um. But I do like that stuff. Um. Uh, to me, exorcism movies low barrier of entry. I don't think. The exorcism stuff they did here was terribly new or broke any ground. But I agree with Billy Ray that just the presence of Russell Crowe having a good time. He brings a lot of charisma
3: to that role. I think it does kind of elevate the film.
1: All right. Uh, Ryan, what are you thinking?
3: Um, I did not like this movie, but there are certain things that I did like about it. I like the fact that Russell Crowe is leaning into being fat. As opposed to being ashamed of it, which is, he seemed to have been for about a decade. And now he's just like, Hey, I'm a big guy. What are you going to do about it? Hey, Oh, <laughs> uh, but, and, and I love the fact that like within the first 15 minutes, they gave me a violent friends needle drop. And if you do that in your movie, no matter how bad it is, you will have my respect. And I love the fact that the Pope is Django. I think that that's absolutely inspired, but I did not care for the movie overall simply because it, it felt like it was uh Russell Crowe aside was rehashing a lot of things like messages carved into the skin, the priest taking an evil spirit into himself, projectile vomiting. Where have I seen all of this before? And then that lady explodes like a blood balloon and immediately all my criticisms go away. So I'm, I'm <laughs> torn. I'm absolutely
1: torn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's uh, you guys have really been hitting the nail on the head. I mean, and, it- Everything Ben and Billy Ray were saying is basically true, you know? Like there isn't a lot of original stuff in there, you know, it's a but dialogue.
3: like the, it is a dialogue the, between the two.
1: Yeah. The 10% that is original though is like all the Russell Crowe stuff, the Spanish Inquisition stuff that I I really enjoyed in the movie and I'm glad that Billy Ray really leaned on that because I really thought like that's if this movie is going to get off it's basically going to be on the strength of Russell Crowe, and we we've let we've uh, ruled in favor of movies based on very strong single single performances. Because I think if you replace Russell Crowe, I mean the the movie just has nothing going for it. It's just such a cookie cutter Exorcist movie. It would be very hard to justify. Well, uh, I, I, think, verdict, I think not guilty. Verdict, I would feel
4: there's some moments in the like where they, uh, where the demon shows it could take a second person that, that it kind of plays with. That is interesting. You don't see it much. I mean, they just did an exorcist believer, but before that, I, I can't remember a demon taking multiple people. So. That, that's that's kind of cool and and i think overall <laughs> that's <actually> kind of lame <laughs> and then overall no kind of the buddying up exorcist team up that they want to do at the end where they're like we're gonna go get all the rest like hell yeah like you know let's roll line up yeah, I, I think
1: i really did like that ending i thought that was pretty strong even though the uh both c- uh counselors kind of criticized this with that the john wickification of things but i mean if there is going to be a secret society i mean i imagine the catholics would be involved they've been around forever you know, so um, any other thoughts you guys want to have before we start dialing it in or locking oh, it in? Uh, the there?
3: kid, the the exercised cool. kid is terrible. Yes, it really makes me appreciate Linda Blair in ways that I never thought I ever would. Like it makes me really go back and look at the exorcist and God, that is a perfectly calibrated performance because yeah. this kid is awful.
4: Yeah, and we've seen kid. You know, we've seen kid possession, so that's why I think
3: what we're saying is like, yeah, possess nothing an adult, in... man. Possessing adult. Yeah.
1: yeah, most most kids are not particularly strong actors anyway. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think the acting was particularly strong at all. Uh Russell Crowe's hamming it up aside. And I did like actually the Pope himself. I thought he brought some gravitas. Was he really nominated for a Razzie for this? That's just that's stupid that's just wrong I feel I mean they but. usually
4: I think they usually do whatever turn heads a little bit you know yeah I guess don't they don't, just to they get don't get go to indie movies you know they don't watch those like well, yeah, okay I guess
3: I would even argue that they don't watch the movies that they nominate for Razzies.
1: Hmm, that very well could be. All right, enough of the ra- enough of the Razzie conversation. Ryan Luis Rodriguez, I would like you to lock in your verdict, please.
3: Okay, and I, why? I, and I words know, or less. I think I know what direction that this court is going in, so I'm going to go uh, guilty.
1: All right, Maynard uh, Banks.
3: For me, um,
4: I think Ben's history argument kind of fell on deaf ears. This movie's not, you know, it's it is like you know, I think the. the the comparison to The Conjuring is true. You know, it's 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 inspired by something and then it's going to go off on its own. So I think a lot of that didn't land for me. And then I think Billy Ray arguing that, yeah, it's, you know, it's your basic exorcist movie. Yes, it is. But Russell Crowe makes it a little better. And I think he said our magic words that, you know, it's a B movie. It's pulp entertainment. And this is exactly what it wanted to be. and it And it achieved it. So I'm going to go not guilty.
1: All right. And I'm also going to come down... Not guilty. I was weighing the arguments carefully. I think Billy Ray was just very convincing because, again, it, the movie succeeded in its intentionality. Russell Crowe, I just think, was he was too good in this. You and I presumed
4: and, and, that the Abbey sealed the demon in. It was somehow and, holy and the kid broke that seal. So, well, you know.
1: the kid didn't break the seal. The workers did. The workers, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, presumably there's the two. The, yeah, and presumably there's two hundred more sealed demons that they're gonna go find, unseal, and execute or something. I can't wait good for good this. For Thirteen of them. I I can't wait for the sequel. But let's get out there and tell that very handsome judge.
3: Mr. Foreman, have you reached a verdict?
1: We have, Your Honor. In the case of the people versus the Pope's Exorcist, we find the defendant not guilty of being a bad movie. Huzzah! Boo! Boo!
3: The verdict um, is so rendered. The Pope's Exorcist is hereby released on the condition that its makers produce all 199 sequels. <laughs> <Quartus Hooray>! adjourned. <laughs>
4: Surely some of the demons could team up to save time, right?
1: <laughs> You'd think that, but
4: uh, hey, this is the real Mumbly Mumblerson uh, out here in the Reels of Justice, ready to interview. Uh, if you remember, as sometime around Halloween, I was uh, copied by uh, a shape-shifting uh, monster from space, but Ben uh, shot it in the head, which we all know kills uh, shape-shifting monsters from space, but it doesn't kill me. <laughs> Of course, so I'm perfectly alive
2: here to interview. Uh, Billy Ray
4: Bruton, uh, why don't you come on in and uh, let us know uh, what you thought of that jury's verdict.
2: Billy Ray has uh, had to go. This is uh, me, Father Gabriella Morthe, as uh, portrayed by Russell Crowe. Oh, God. (laughs) Anything to say then? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, am so, I am so happy that uh, this magical movie was spared the death sentence. Uh, we put uh, so much love into this, just like we do in all of our cans of SpaghettiOs. We do so much together. Yay, America! <laughs> yeah, i really been...
4: Really been hoping for one episode where we wouldn't uh, anger the Italian Defamation League, but uh, oh well. Uh, (laughs) It's not going to happen. Hey, uh, Big Ben Hassler, why don't you come over here? I'm Mumbly Mumbly, by the way, you know me. Um, uh, Why don't you tell us what you thought about the jury's verdict? Uh,
0: Well, I'm sad that Billy Ray had to leave, uh, because I did want to tell him he can count me as one of the people that liked it more than I thought I would, and that I thought it was a Gentleman's 2 going in, and it turned out to be more like a Gentleman's 4, but that is more, so that's nice. Uh, still, I'm going to be out of here, because this courthouse happens to be built upon a gate to movie hell, so I'm sure that Russell Crowe's going to be zipping in here any moment on that, that little uh, red scooter, that it's a miracle that it carry him all the way to Italy, but what do I why do you
2: Why do you think I'm here?
0: <laughs> oh, oh no, oh no! Sure. <laughs> It's a lot body of shaming that uh, makes but me no. uncomfortable,
2: of course. But uh, again, no, I have called it the Ghostbusters. They will be here imminently. <laughs> We're teaming up in the sequel. Father of Martha and the Ghostbusters. Well, it's a good thing uh,
4: I'm actually a reanimated corpse uh, and not a ghost. But uh, I am the real Mumbly Mumblerson, and I'm going to have to uh, check you guys next time. And uh, Mumblerson uh, out.
1: Oh, man, we just combined too many plot lines in Reels of Justice. There were a lot of plot lines there. This is what happens when
0: you've been around for four or five years. We need
1: to have a crisis on Reels of Justice where we just get all the canon into one thing.
0: Get rid of all of them. He's alive,
1: though. Mumbly lives. The very real Mumbly. The very real Mumbly. Billy Ray, great case. Love your passion. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm back.
2: I I traded back in with the the good father. Um, No, I, you know, I... It's like I said, like I saw this, I remember seeing this and and this is kind of just up my alley anyway, because I'm someone who is so sick and tired of exorcism films. Like I'm just done with them. I think they've been done to death. And I don't think there's been a genuinely creative one in like 20 years, maybe since the last exorcism. Um, And so I was surprised that I enjoyed this as much as I did. And I never thought I needed a franchise exorcist movie like that but i did and after (laughs) seeing exorcist uh believer i liked it even more
4: can the conjuring universe team up with uh oh god or or is the time is the timeline too different
2: i want no
1: they could have known each other 70s to 50s
2: i want father of course to team up with denzel washington from the equalizer
1: Ooh.
2: I want. The, I think they could have some really interesting spiritual discussions over a coffee, which is what Denzel's character always seems to be drinking. I got to see that movie. Um, but Billy, what's been keeping you? Uh, what's been keeping you busy lately? What have you been up to? Well, uh, that's easy. Uh, Make Believe Seattle, uh, which is my film festival, my genre festival, I do in Seattle, Washington, every March. Uh, we just announced our full lineup literally yesterday, and so it's just been programming and curating and getting filmmakers there and all that fun stuff. And I'm sure there's going to be some folks there that y'all know. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, that's been my life and will be my life through the end of March.
4: Oh, that's very exciting. Um, and and is there a way to see it if you're not in Seattle live?
2: Unfortunately, not this year. We are exploring uh, doing a virtual component next year. Uh, just for accessibility reasons. Uh, But this year, we, we did not. So we are only in person. You do have to come to Seattle. But if you want to make the trek to Seattle, we've got some amazing partner hotels that are offering us pretty insane rates. So it won't break the bank like a lot of other genre festivals will. Is there somewhere well, people can get...
4: Get the information for those Absolutely.
2: Hotels, but... You can go to makebelieveseattle.com. You can find our lineup. You can find out. We have a places to stay tab where you can find all of our hotels, all their all their rates, what they're offering. We've got some really good ones there. And, um, yeah, Seattle.com is going to give you everything you need. It's March 21st the through the 26th. And proud of the lineup. We think it's a pretty super lineup. So, are you awesome. gonna have a Connor
3: Ratliff documentary? I'm George Lucas. I think I, I read the yeah. documentary part of it. Oh man, I can't wait to see that. That's right.
2: We're doing we're doing that. And then those guys are gonna do a live George Lucas talk show right now. Nice. After. Yeah. Nice. nice.
4: Uh now we always ask for recommendations from our guests for movies that you think people should see. So Billy Ray, what is a movie that you think people should see? I hope it's
2: unhinged. Wow. Um I have forgotten about this part. So uh, I love that. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to do it on the spot. Um, Well, you know, and I like to go in a different route. So because we talked about an exorcism film, I don't really want to, you know, talk about more of those. Um, And and everybody knows the ones to see anyway. So I'll talk about something recent, which I typically like to do. And the film that I think I would like to most turn people on to at the moment. And I hate to be, and and I hope to one day come on the show to defend this one. Beekeeper. Beekeeper.
4: Ah, oh yeah, uh, with
2: Statham. With With Jason Statham, and I gotta tell you, man, like I have never been the biggest Jason Statham fan. I I, I go through ways I don't like more than I do, but he did that film, that Guy Ritchie film a few years ago, Wrath of Man, Mm -hmm. which was shockingly great, and And I've kind of just been a fan ever since. And I went into The Beekeeper. I'm not the biggest David Ayer fan. The trailer looked kind of cheesy and the movie is cheesy. But for a lot of the same reasons why I liked Pope's Exorcist, I liked The Beekeeper. It's doing a lot of the same thing. It's it's John Wickifying some shit. Mm -hmm. Jason Statham is terrific. Like, I think there's a lot of, like, political intrigue going on. Like, I was really surprised at how much I dug that film. Um, so, I mean, I hate the beekeeper. I can't believe I'm recommending the beekeeper on a podcast. <laughs>
4: I, I mean, I, I liked the trailer because, you know, the, the whole scamming thing is such a, you know, it's a good topic and it's, you know it's what? a good idea for a movie to use.
2: Can I cheat? Yeah. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to recommend something else because we're just talking about make, <laughs> make believe my festival and, and we're doing a tribute in that festival to Albert Pune, the great Albert Pune who was a filmmaker who did The Sword and the Sorcerer, Cyborg, The 90 Captain America, Doll Man, uh Brain Smasher, a love story like made a lot of really cool B-movies in the 80s and 90s. And so there's a new documentary called Albert Pune, King of Cult Movies. And we're going to be premiering that. And then we're immediately following that up with a screening of his film Arcade from 1993. So I would just recommend that folks check out the work of Albert Pune. He did some really cool stuff that you've heard about, some really cool stuff that you've not heard about. And even some of his later stuff, he did a couple of like, he directed like all four of the Nemesis films. If you you saw them. He, he directed all four of those. And I got to tell you, they're all even four, death angel. Yes. And they're <laughs> all four kind of great. Like they're all four kind of awesome in that B movie way. And so, um, yeah, I just recommend Albert Pune.
4: <clears throat> are, you, uh, are, are you a Pune? I got nothing. So Pune pal. <laughs> <You can't impune laughs> <his honor>. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, are you a Pune pal? <laughs> pune prodigy. No.
3: uh well i'm only really familiar with his work through mystery science theater because he did alien from la that's
4: right
2: which isn't even that bad no it's not well nothing with kathy ireland
0: can that's
4: that that's <laughs> pretty much why Yep. <laughs> uh big ben what is your recommendation
0: Uh, I'm going to recommend another movie in which Russell Crowe buddy cops up with a young hotshot and say you should check out The Nice Guys, which was a film I pretty much ignored when it came out. Nothing about the trailer really enticed me. I heard people say it was good, but I don't know. 70s porn that kind of plot line just really isn't my bag but i was finally worn down and i will now readily admit i was wrong i should have seen it in the theater with an audience ready to laugh because russell crowe who he plays this burly straight man to Ros- ryan gosling's lovable idiot with great aplomb and as tim Ryder once put it on our show you have to be smart to play dumb and on that chord ryan gosling is a comedic genius if you've seen mm. barbie which I'm sure you have, uh, you already have a taste of what he can do with this kind of role. So just imagine Ken partnering up with a big tough guy to solve crimes in a script that's very smart. And if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what else will.
4: No, cool. I haven't seen that one either. Um, I, th- I thought uh, they're not cops. They are cops? Detectives. They're like private investigators. Private okay, yeah. so it's a buddy cop movie. All right. And what, they make porn? No, they're the investigating mystery like porn involves movie. porn. Ah, well, those are great mysteries, you know? Uh, I like it. Uh, Ryan, what have you got for us? My yeah, they tre- did the recommendation-
3: Shut up, Dylan. My <laughs> tre- recommendation this week is, yet again, a recent release from 2023 that I saw a couple of weeks ago, Andrew Haig's film All of Us Strangers. Yes, sir. It follows an isolated and potentially depressed man played by Andrew Scott, who engages in a romance with his neighbor played by Paul Mescal, and what happens when his parents re-enter his life after having died in a car crash when he was 12 years old. As I describe it, it sounds like a supernatural thriller, but it's actually much more nuanced and character-focused than that, and frankly, it's just the tip of the thematic iceberg. Scott was unjustly snubbed by the Academy, much like Penelope Cruz in Ferrari, which we'll be discussing soon, and it's easily one of the best films of last year. Currently, All of Us Strangers is in theaters, but it will be hitting Hulu soon. Ooh, Hulu, Ooh.
1: like Ooh. that, yeah. Uh, Maynard, it's incumbent on you to do your recommendation next because I reference it in mine.
4: Oh well. Uh, anyway, Shalento, <laughs> that must mean you know know what my recommendation is. So, can you tell me what movie I'm going to recommend this week? Uh, maybe by my trembling hands or mm. my refusal to make eye contact with mm. you, although that's pretty regular.
1: No, Uh, no, there's there's some kind of tell there. I got nothing.
4: It must be working because my recommendation this week is Poker Face from 2022. A tech billionaire hosts a high stake poker game with all his friends in order to confront each with a secret vendetta. But the party must learn to trust one another when a group of art thieves break into the mansion. Someone was talked into letting Russell Crowe direct this movie and whoever it was also made the mistake of letting him write the screenplay or in the least put his name on it and take all the credit. It's almost a serious character piece until it gives up the ghost in like the last 40 minutes and becomes a I don't know, action thriller out of nowhere for some reason. But I'm here for the hacker turn that Crowe's career seems to be taking. He's no Gerard Butler, the clear heir apparent to the Bronson Hacker Throne. But who can be? They hmm. also gave a part in the movie to the ruler Zigzag Ziggala, the Riza, who still manages to act circles around poor Liam Hemsworth. Poker Face is currently streaming on Hulu, so if you're already subscribed, please do Russell Crowe a favor.
1: He needs us. God, I'm uh, like that movie.
4: Schlenzo, <laughs> are you going to send us on home then, huh?
1: I am, and guess this: my movie also has Russell Crowe in the RZA. In it. Stop. <laughs> so, as much as I want to sit here I recommend Poker Face again, and really everyone needs to see that movie, I will well, recommend yes. a sweet, sweet hacker, which comes from an unlikely source. That's right, none other than Wu Tang's very own RZA wrote and directed and starred in The Man with the Iron Fist, which is a bit of. An homage and throwback, a throw if you will, to mm. those uh, Kung Fu movies of old... The Shaw Brothers. The Shaw Brothers, yes, very much in that vein. Uh, a star-studded cast did a story that's appropriate for an eight-year-old's D&D game where everyone either has magic powers or is named after an animal, or both. The best part is Russell Crowe as Jackknife A cowboy style character that uses a gun that is actually a knife, but is really a gun. I can't believe that this movie is not on Tubi. Wait, no, no, I can actually believe that. What I really can't believe is that the sequel, that's right, there's a second one, that's not on Tubi. Oh my God. I'm going to have to rush out
4: and find it. Now, but Jack Knife doesn't drive a truck? Not a truck
0: driver? No,
1: no, no. It it takes place in like old school China, and there's like a bunch of warring factions of assassins. Because he and sounds the, like you would have basically been like big trouble in Little China. Like, yeah, no, and the in the Riza, he's he's a blacksmith who tries to be neutral, but then they cut off his arms, and so Russell Crowe has to make him metal arms. Which is, that's this is the movie that that then he fights iron. And then he fights Batista, and it's, that's it. It's great. You've sold the movie to me. Anyone else? <laughs>
4: yeah,
1: I know. Well, but that's, the, the problem is it's interminably slow. If it wasn't for the fact no, that I watched the- uh... You had
4: me. You're going to turn me off. Before you ruin this movie for me, I'm going to end this episode. We are all out of show, but we want to thank our guest, Billy Ray, for joining us. Thank you so much, Billy Ray.
2: You know, I am always happy to attend this sausage party.
4: <laughs> well, I, I would like to think there's more spice to it, like a kielbasa party.
2: Oh, well, a kielbasa is a sausage. So
4: <laughs> yes, true. but not all kielbasa are not all sausage are kielbasa. That's the point. <laughs> that's um, that's correct. That is and, accurate. Uh, but we hope everyone else will join us and our kielbasa again next time as the reels of justice keep turning. Count it.
3: I'm an Apopsa exorcist. Oh. <laughs>
1: Oh, man, the Italians really hate us.
2: (laughs) Please follow us on Twitter at Reels of Justice, Instagram Reels of Justice, and Facebook.com slash Reels of Justice.